Hello, this is Janet from JanetSandberg.com, and you're listening to the Phoenix Wisdom Podcast, the weekly show that talks to peers and professionals who open up about their darkest moments when they felt like ending it all, why they didn't, and how they transformed their lives in order to triumph over the darkness and despair. Please remember to subscribe if you'd like to hear more inspiring stories. Hello, I'm Janet Sandberg, and I am the host of Phoenix Wisdom Podcast. And today we have as our guest, the lovely Rebecca Baines. And let's just go straight over to you, Rebecca, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you so much, Janet. Well, I am a half Alaska native, and I was actually on a pathway to becoming a physician. I had my undergraduate degree in chemistry and I was in my first year of medical school when my memories of sexual abuse, incest, and then eventually satanic ritual abuse came up. And I didn't know what those memories were at first. And uh, it took somebody who was knowledgeable about the topic to say, oh, that kind of sounds like something called satanic ritual abuse. And my brother and I actually laughed about it, but um, the, the horrific flashbacks kept coming. So eventually I did some research and was horrified to find my personal private thoughts, images, night terrors, whatever, all just listed and every one of them listed in a book, several books actually. Um, and so that began my journey. That was now 31 years ago. And it's been a nonstop journey of healing, transformation, self-awareness, and just never stopping, you know. And, and actually, there was foreshadowings of all of this because I became severely depressed when I was, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old, like to where I had tunnel vision and I was pretty much catatonic and nobody in my family even noticed I didn't speak wow. for days. I just would come home from school and lay on my bed and just stare blankly at the ceiling. They'd call me to dinner and I would just kind of push my food around and not say anything and, you know, no affect, go back to my room, lay on my bed. And um, nobody said anything. Nobody asked me if I was okay. Um, it eventually passed, but that was the first of many um, bouts of severe depression and I think the first time, I think the first time I became suicidal was probably in high school. And then when I went off to college, the bouts of depression and suicidal depression were just, um, they just got more and more intense, mm -hmm. uh, more and more dark. And one night I remember sitting on my couch and it felt like I was looking down into a big black pit right? And like in my mind's eye. Mm -hmm. And I stood at the edge of the pit and I was like, I could throw myself in. I could throw myself in and I'll never come back. Like, I'll just lose my mind and I'll just, whatever, I'll check mm -hmm. out. And I was in so much pain. I really wanted to do it. And then I thought of my younger brother. He's like seven years younger than me. And I thought, oh, that's just a horrible example for him. 
you know, and my love and my kind of protectiveness of him um, several times kept me from following through on um, wanting to kill myself. Mm -hmm. Did you know at the time what was causing your, your depression? No, that was before you had figured it all out. I had not a clue. I used to think, <clears throat> what is wrong with me? You know, like they would tell us that we were this perfect family, right? Oh, so-and-so said we were this perfect family. Well, my dad was Alaska native and he was a United Methodist minister. My mom was until I was about 12. I think she was a stay at home mom and, you know, four lovely, intelligent, well-behaved children, you know, and, and we always knew like how to put on the proper exterior, right? Sure. At least I'll speak for myself. Um, even though inside, I probably didn't feel this way, but I was always smiling and polite and happy. And, you know, when I wasn't being su suicidally depressed behind closed doors, you know, but I, knew I think how it is for most of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I can remember those really dark times, um, off and on throughout my whole life. And then I was in my first year of medical school and it was a dream come true, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, I had wanted to do something to help people since I was a child. I, I knew I wanted to do something in the helping fields. And um, partway through my first year of medical school, which initially was like the happiest time period of my whole life. Like I was in heaven you know like my dream had come true yeah I was in a problem-based learning track so we had no lectures it was just small groups and we had these case studies that like in the pursuit of figuring out what was wrong with this mock patient we would end up getting all of our learning issues covered so anatomy physiology the biochemistry everything would cool. be covered yeah. Oh, it was so fun. It was really like playing a game, right? We were like, like a mystery yeah. um, <laughs> game. And, and then it was fun because I loved all the subject matter anyway, you know, and so mm -hmm. we would each get assigned a different learning issue. It's like, and then we'd come back and teach each other what we had learned. So it was just this really blissful time. And then um, all of a sudden, like I started getting depressed again. And I was just, it was just like my heels digging into the dirt, you know, going, no, no, not now, not when all my dreams are coming true. And, but I recognized what was happening. And, and again, though, actually there were foreshadowings of these um, memories of satanic ritual abuse. So the summer before I started med school, I was in a program for um, native uh, minority students that maybe didn't come from the best schools and to get mm -hmm. help them just kind of get a ramp up to what they're going to need to know in medical school. So I was in the whole summer in this intensive program. And I remember one afternoon we had cadaver lab and there were like, I think four, three or four students, I think four students per cadaver. And that day we were trying to peel the skin off our cadavers palm so that we could you know, look at the structures and study the structures underneath, you know, the tendons and the ligaments and the bones and stuff. Okay. But the skin was coming off in little teeny pieces and everybody took turns and would just get so frustrated. And so when it came to the end of lab, I told all of them, like, you just go home. I'm just going to stay here longer. And I ended up, I don't know, maybe another hour or so that I sat peeling the skin off this man's hand 
um, alone in a room with like 30 dead bodies. <laughs> and because I was so focused on the task at hand, it didn't really occur to me like that was kind of creepy, you know? And I got back to my apartment and before the door even slammed shut behind me, I went face down on the carpet and just started wailing, sobbing, like hysterical, hysterical, like as hard as you can cry, right? Mm -hmm. Like where it's hard to breathe. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I cried it out. I don't remember how long it was. And then because I had no context for what that was about, I just got up and went to the kitchen and fixed dinner and went back to my studies. And so that happened. And then there was a couple of incidents with men that were um, like a, like a, like an almost rape on a date. Like mm -hmm. when he noticed I was crying, he stopped. But before that, I kept trying to make him stop and he would, but he was like six foot seven. So I think the trigger there was that he was so much bigger than me that it was yeah. reminiscent of being a child and being raped in, in either by my dad or by in the cult ceremonies, which both of those things happened. Wow. And um, so, yeah, I didn't have any idea why, like, I would think what's wrong with me? Like the rest of my family is fine. The other kids are fine. My, both my brothers are doctors, very successful. My sister was fine she's an entrepreneur and she got married and had kids and and I was like I'm the one that's like some sort of wreck I have you know I had a hard time finishing things mm -hmm. um, my relationships with men never worked out I didn't I didn't pick healthy men I didn't have great relationships um, and so in the one respect when I finally started having the memories there was a tiny silver lining in that I could say, oh, well, at least I know why I am the way I am. But there's yeah. a reason, you know, it's not yeah. just that I'm some weakling that for no reason I can't get my act together. So it was, it was helpful in that respect. But those first few months and years were just like a living hell, just living hell once the memories of the satanic stuff started, like they just kept coming like dominoes. I got to the point where I did not want to sleep at night because I had these just, I mean, gruesome nightmares. I would wake up just in like that adrenaline rush, you know, where like every nerve ending hurts. And, um, and it was, it was just horrible. And I eventually was diagnosed with di dissociative identity disorder, which used to be called multiple personalities. But I can remember shooting up in bed in the morning sometimes, at least a few times. And it was like a card, of, a deck of cards shuffling, right? And they kept going. And then all of a sudden the, the right personality was there. And it's like, oh, okay, I'm Rebecca. I go to med school. I need to get up and get ready and ride my bicycle to school. Like, okay. And, um, you know, there was kind of this weird thing where I would sometimes use the term we, and they're like, sure. who's, who's we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, uh, you know, I made up some excuse. Um, so yeah, that, um, and that of course turns out to be a life-saving um, coping mechanism, you know, to be yeah. able to, sequester things because I don't actually remember the vast majority of what happened to me. Like I actually had, um, 
I had a lot of flashbacks at the beginning and then they tapered off and then I would have periods again where there would be more. Um, but then I hadn't had any in years. And then just like maybe a month ago, I just woke up at three something, I think in the morning and I just stretched and I was all content and relaxed and then boom, here was this other flashback. And then right after it, boom, there was another one. And I'm like, wow, I just saw that, you know, I just saw this. And of course in both of them, um, no, in the first one, I was looking down on my little body. I was probably three, um, being abused by a bunch of men. And then, um, in the other one, I was in my body, but I witnessed something very horrible. And normally when the flashbacks come, there's like no emotion initially. It's like, it's just Sometimes it's just the sound. Sometimes it's only the body memory or sometimes it's just a visual. But initially it's so dissociated that I don't have any feelings about it and the feelings come later. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that. I just want to go back to and pick up on a couple of things that you've said. Um, The first being that you know, when you were at the beginning of med school, your dreams are coming true. Like everything is great, but your depression came back and, you know, it just kind of emphasizes that even like everything in our world can be going right on, you know, and, and it still, we still have mental health and just because everything is going right, it doesn't mean that we always feel good. And I thought that was really important to just emphasize again, because so many people who don't experience um, mental health challenges or depression or anxiety, they're like, but everything is so great in your life. You know, you should be happy. And it's like, but they're, (laughs) they're not necessarily connected. Sometimes something in our life will trigger a depressive episode but not always. Sometimes, you know, we're just floating along and everything is grand, but we can still be depressed. Well, in fact, it's actually correlated because what I learned later is it's very common that when your dreams come true, that's when your subconscious mind will start to allow the memories to come back Mm. for some reason. So my lifelong dream was to get into medical school And so that's when it started for me, you know, along with the other triggers that were in place. But yeah, they say sometimes it's like for some women, let's say their dream was to get married and have children and everything's going fantastic. Right. And then the child becomes the age at which their sexual abuse started. And then that's when their memories will come back. And it, I think often the emotion of it comes back first before you realize like, why you, why am I feeling depressed? You know, why, you know, I should be happy, Mm -hmm. but you know what the, the inner world and the outer world, um, it just doesn't work that way. You know, like if you have, yeah, if you have a bunch of repressed trauma, it doesn't matter how good your outer world is, you know, that stuff, all that stuff is still in there. It's in the way. Yeah. It's like all you can see, it's all you can feel is like years and years of repressed pain and anger and fear and all those things. Mm -hmm. 
in whatever way they need to come up and out. You know, I don't, I don't think you have to remember everything. Thank God. You know, initially <laughs> yes. I was so naive about this whole process that um, I thought I had to remember and heal every single incident that had happened to me. And I had several therapists tell me like, no, 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 that's not the way it works. You know, like you could have one memory of a particular type of trauma. And when you heal that, you know, you kind of heal all of it. And uh, that's good to know. Yeah. For anyone who's listening, who thinks they have to relive everything all over again. No, exactly. That's the good news. Um, that is the good news. And I said, I had two things I wanted to bring up and now I've forgotten what the second one was. So that's okay. It'll, it'll come back or it won't. Yeah. It'll come back. Tell you what, just lift your finger. If you like, if you've remembered it and we'll go back to that. Um, yeah. Interesting. The healing process, you know, and the reason I like to share my story is because I don't want people to have to take 31 years to heal the way I have. It doesn't have to be that hard, you know, Mm -hmm. when I first remembered, obviously I was pretty naive about how trauma works. And in fact, the world didn't know all that much about trauma. Like there was a lot of misconceptions and there still are like, there's brand new information about the effects of trauma on the brain nervous system that is not commonly known. So people still say stupid things, you know, like, Oh, just, don't talk about it. Or like, just don't focus on that. Think, think on happy things, you know? And it's like, well, that just remembering it or processing it or talking about it isn't necessarily like wallowing in it, you know? Yes. When I, when I was first remembering to feel my emotions was extremely difficult. I had spent 31 years perfecting the art of never feeling anything that I was feeling right. That mm-hmm. was unpleasant or was not socially acceptable. Like I was supposed to always be smiling and happy and positive and giving. And, you know, so I had learned that very well. And so I had to go with it. If I could get the tears going, or if I could get the anger going, you know, in a safe context, I needed to let it run its course so that it wasn't being repressed anymore. But I quickly realized like, okay, but I have to be vigilant because when am I processing versus now has it crossed over into wallowing, you know, like I'm just, you know, keeping, keeping it going unnecessarily, you know, and I don't think you ever hit it perfectly, but I think it's good to just be aware that you could go either way and you're probably going to, you're going to like, it's a fine line. So, you know, you're going to probably crisscross that line over time and, and, but I think we can just get to know ourselves and kind of the way we typically function and say, okay, I know that I'm someone who will automatically, before I'm even aware that an emotion has come up, I've stuffed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then I might get a headache or just suddenly feel like shit or my stomach turns or something happens. I'm like, what just happened? You know, like, oh, I was thinking about this. I remembered that. Then I had this thought and it's like, oh, that's what it was. You know, yeah. it, went, it went to this other place where these emotions were there and I didn't let them flow, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm also very good at that. I was trying not necessarily as a trauma response, just as a, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant response. You know, we, 
we don't have feelings and we should not express them. So um, I just, yeah, learned, learned to stuff everything. Um, not overtly, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't overtly told. I just learned from watching my parents do it, but, and they learned from watching their parents do it, you know, and um, yeah, it took me till I was in my forties before I realized that you're supposed to actually emote and <laughs> let the emotions out and let them flow. But learning to do that without getting stuck in them um, yep. is another skill. So first Idiot. you have to let them out. Then you have to let them go through you and, and out the other side, you know, let them, let Allow. them go, let them release. And and I think when we're first learning, it's natural. We feel them and then we get stuck in them because it's all so unfamiliar. And yes, especially with the, the harder emotions with sadness and anger and those sorts of things. It's a lot easier to, to get stuck in those and just have them hang around for where it does that crossover into, into wallowing and, you know, just being embodying the feeling, you know, and, and it just stays with you for longer than it should. So yes. there, it's, it's a journey like everything else. Um, yeah. And well, this morning I did like, I, um, I'm a healer now, as you know, so most mornings I do a little mini session on myself, whatever, you know, I'm guided to work on. And this morning it was, there was some <laughs> go figure anxiety, uh, coming up and I think sadness and I just practiced like going into my heart and just imagining that I was releasing them, you know, to God and the universe, just letting them flow out of me. And then I did some inner parts work. It's like internal family systems kind of stuff where you have different parts within you. And so I went in and I uh, worked with some of the angry parts to say, you know, hey, you, you know, you have every reason to be enraged but you don't deserve to be stuck in it, right? It's not mm. the most pleasant thing. And there are safe ways for you to give this over to spirit. And the good news is the flip side of um, anger is joy. Yes. So so I, I told those parts like, you know, hey, you deserve to have joy. Like, you know, if you're willing, like just try it a little bit, maybe just a little bit, let some of that anger and rage go. And um and then feel what it feels like to feel like maybe just a little bit of joy, you know? Um, the other thing I want to be scary too, when you're not used to it, you know, when oh. we've been struggling for so long, then feeling happiness, feeling joy, feeling content is such a strange and unusual sensation that it kind of freaks us out. And we're Absolutely. like, ah, what is that? <laughs> I don't, I don't like this. This is yeah. weird and unusual. I had a client once um, when I used to do a lot of Reiki and she uh, stopped me partway through a session. She's like, I can't, you need to like do something else or like, I don't know what's happening. She's like, but it feels really good. And I don't like it. Yeah. She's like, I have never experienced feeling this good before. And it's making me uncomfortable. Yep. And 
so I, I moved along and, and we worked together and I'm, you know, super proud of her for speaking up about that. Not just yeah putting up with it and thinking that that's what she has to do. That's a great um, self-awareness. And the other thing for me was that my, you know, my dad was later di- diagnosed as a sociopath, you know, which allowed him to do these atrocities within the satanic ceremonies. But my mother is a narcissist and for her, I was the other woman because mm. she knew what was going on. And so she hated me and she basically subconsciously like wanted to destroy or kill me, wanted me to die. She didn't want to kill me. She wanted me to die. And so it was unbearable for her if I was joyful or happy. So I can remember as a small child, maybe five, you know, playing with my dolls and laughing and giggling and just being so happy. And she had to come in my bedroom from the kitchen. She couldn't stand it. So she said something really horrible to me. I don't even remember what it was, except it was like a bucket of cold water in my face, you know, and I just stopped and I was just shocked. And I just looked up at her and my eyes got big. And then she said something else. And I was still kind of shocked, like really mean. And then she's up the ante. She said something so horrible that I just burst out sobbing. And then she got this little self-satisfied grin on her face and she turned and walked away and left me there sobbing on the floor. So that was just one example of that dynamic with her. So yeah, for me, if I'm happy, like it's like a governor on it, right? Like, oh, it's not safe to feel that good. Someone's going to come in and just knock you down. And um, the other thing I wanted to say about emotions is there's a couple dynamics that I've seen and personally experienced where if I'm expressing my feelings, sometimes they call it um, spiritual bypass Mm -hmm. and they want you to like go into all, you know, like kumbaya spirituality. Like it's not, it's not comfortable, comfortable for people to hear you express tremendous anger or grief or, you know, whatever it might be. And, you know, that, that to me is not at all. I mean, it does damage. It's like, it does damage on top of the fact that the person is already wounded. Now they're being made to feel that spiritually they're doing it wrong, you know, because it's supposed to be all kumbaya and mm-hmm. love and light. Um, and yeah, the idea is to get there, but not by stepping over and pretending like these emotions don't exist. Right. And the other one I've seen lately is they call it toxic positivity where people want you to always be, you know, only, only speak the good, you know, don't talk about anything negative. And, you know, I get what they're saying, but if you understand trauma and how it works, that is actually adding to the problem. Yes. You know, so I love that there's new technology coming out all the time um, on how to more quickly release the trauma. Um, I'm still working on mine. I'm, I don't, I don't know if there's going to be a time when it has no impact on me. Like I've resolved it. Um, It's hard to imagine that given the the severity and the, like, we know for sure my sexual abuse from my dad started when I was 24 months old. Um, My mom told about finding the evidence of it after she had left him with me, left me with him. And, um, and then the, the satanic stuff, I don't know how early that started, but I have memories that were probably pre-verbal, maybe three. Uh, I just see 
myself in the ceremony, you know, being abused. So I don't know that it will ever be complete, but I know like a friend of mine this morning told me about this new neurological device that actually like reverses um, or treats, I don't know if it reverses, but treats PTSD, like the damage done to the brain from wow. severe abuse. So like, I'm super excited to learn more about that. Yeah. Um, over the years, like I tried to piece it together on my own, right? Like I found, I immediately went into talk therapy. Uh, within a few months, I was, uh, had to check myself into a psychiatric ward because I was not eating, not sleeping, crying all day long and suicidal. And so, you know, some family helped me and I got myself into a psychiatric ward, ended up only being there for the weekend. And then they said, you know, you're too high functioning. We should put you in the day program because that's like nonstop therapy. Right. So I did that for a month. Um, we had group therapy, psychodrama, art therapy, recreational therapy. Um, I mean, all day long, just one wow. thing after another, it was so intense. It was so good. And, um, but I was trying to piece it together, right? So I'd go to talk therapy and my body would come out of it just in absolute agony with knots and tension, you know? And then I'd go to massage therapy and I would bawl my eyes out. And, you know, I was just trying to piece it together, mind, body, mm -hmm. spirit. Then I'd get Reiki and, you know, stuff would release and I would let go. And then I'd go back to talk therapy. My body would get tight. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to create this mind, body, spirit thing, you know, piecing it together with what I found available. Um, and then I kept telling the universe, like, we've got to, you've got to give us a way to heal trauma that is faster, gentler, easier, and permanent. Because what I found right. is like everything I did, there was a rebound effect. So I described it like I put in a hundred pounds of effort. Maybe I'd go to like a workshop or a certain type of therapy or process, you know, and work really hard, get, get, you know, 80 pounds of result. But I can tell you that a year later, I had maybe three pounds of that still in like permanent, you know, the rest of it would just dissipate, but I didn't know what else to do. So I just kept doing everything that came my way. Right. Mm -hmm. I did, I did Reiki, I did acupuncture, I did, uh, uh, multi-dimensional cellular healing, like every modality that came along. I'm like, yeah, I did soul retrievals. That was great. Um, and, but, but like I said, nothing was permanent, but I'm like, well, what else am I going to do? Like, I can't live like this. I've got to keep working on it. And then I found theta healing and I had a session, a friend, a friend's sister and him went and took the training and she came back and said, Hey, would you by chance be willing to let me do this on you? You know, I'm like, are you kidding me? Free <laughs> healing, you know, and me, this yes, target please, rich sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> like target rich environment over here, bring it on, you know. And I did that session with her and I came out of it. And I'm like, that's what I'm gonna do. And it was actually several years before I was healed enough to even take the training. Like that's that's how bad it was. And uh, that was in 2011 and I've been a healer ever since. That's my profession. 
And um, the work has shifted a lot over the years. Um, I get downloads from the creator on new techniques. And the first time I got the, the, like, I got like the nudge to do something in a way that I'd never seen it done. And I started to think in my mind, I'm like, oh, you can do that. Oh, sorry. Forgot who I'm talking with. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. And then once I got it, that like, like each session was going to be different, I would get new techniques and new information. And then I just started to flow with it. And um, I'm a natural empath and have some mediumship skills too, but I will get visions, you know, and then um, as I'm describing what the creator is showing me, I, I will be told what it means and um, so those are like special messages for that person. Yeah, beautiful. Um, that's, yeah, so that's interspersed with just the, you know, clearing of sub limiting subconscious beliefs and clearing trauma. You know, I, one of my master teachers created a trauma clearing process that it deals with the shock, the trauma and the cellular trauma on all levels on which it's held. Wow. So like mind, body, spirit, past life, future life, ancestors, cellular, everything. Powerful. Yeah, very. Yeah. And it's so interesting because um, I, that happens to all of us, whether we're, you know, very, very woo and spiritual or not, as we heal and as we let go of trauma or depression or whatever it may be that's bogging us down, we have this clarity that fog goes away. Whereas when we're in it, you know, the day-to-day -day is the challenge. And as we heal, we get the clarity and we just get more creative And however that shows up for us, whether that's, you know, you're, you're good at carpentry and you're suddenly renovating your house because that's how you express your creativity or your baking or, you know, you're learning new healing modalities and you're, you know, um, receiving messages from spirit, whatever it is for you, that is a really great sign that you are healing is that your, your clarity and your creativity grows. I'm so glad you said that. Cause one of the things that I always tell people is when I first set out on this healing journey, it was more or less that I lived in such a constant state of trauma and misery that I just wanted the pain to stop. Mm -hmm. Right. I didn't know, I had not a clue what it was to feel good, much less feel good about myself. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up having programmed into me absolute and total self-loathing. Yeah. I did well, not deserve when, to live. Yeah. When we're there, you know, pain, the pain and, and the, the struggle, that's, we can't see past that. Yeah. Right. Well, because I just and didn't know. When I was talking to, uh, a, a friend of mine who used to be uh, one of my business coaches, I think she's episode two, if you want to go back there and listen to that conversation. I'd love um, to. But when I was working with her, she asked, what brings you joy? And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. Like, what is this joy you speak of? <laughs> like, I had no idea. Like, what brings me joy? Like, nothing. Nothing brings me joy. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. People experience joy in their daily lives? Like, what? Yeah. Like, it was just such a foreign concept for me at that point in my life. And yep. her even just asking the question 
you know, was mind blowing and earth bending. And because I didn't, I didn't know. And when I was a child, I knew what joy was, but as you know, things had just gotten so bad and they'd been so bad for so long that I totally forgotten it. You know, joy was even a thing at all. I told someone yesterday that until even fairly recently, the concept of self-love was just an idea, Mm -hmm. right? It wasn't something that I really understood. Yeah, it's a concept. Okay, yeah, self-love. I mean, it seems self-evident, right? What that is. But when I first started this journey, I was determined, like I went into this healing like I did everything else, right? I was not a type A at the time. I was a type triple A. I was too <laughs> You have to be to get into med school. Yeah. And especially given that one healer like tested me and he said, I was functioning like on 80% complete damage, like 20% of me was remaining. And one of my classmates said to someone and I overheard it, she goes, she's done all that on 20%, you know, <laughs> I, I had just taken my leave of absence from medical school. And so I, I tell people like, you have no idea how great you can feel. If your trauma started young and it's been bad and you've dealt with it for a lifetime, like you don't even have a concept of what you're reaching towards. I didn't anyway. Mm-hmm. I was reaching towards healing and to feel better, but I didn't even know what that was. Right. I was raised with like so much damage and so many, like my self-identity was just shit. And, and so even recently I've taken my spiritual healing to a whole nother dimension. And I'm like, oh, I think I'm starting to get it. Like swimming in that divine, eternal love, like, oh, it's here for all of us. Like that means for me too, you know, like I get to soak it up like a sponge and go, oh, this is going into all those little cracks, you know, um, that I I didn't even know we're there and, um, and, and, and joy and play are the things that you don't even know they're missing until you finally start to have them. Yes. And I can remember in my twenties, you know, like a decade before I remembered having people say to me, like, gosh, Rebecca, you're so serious. And I think, what do you mean? You know, like I didn't even I, it was uncomfortable to hear it, but I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. And of course I was pretty somber, right? I was pretty yeah. squished down, beaten down. Um, and, and given the <laughs> topic just, of your, <laughs> sorry, I'm just remembering my ex-husband used to tell me that all the time. And I'm like, looking back and I'm like, well, you're the reason that I feel this way. You know, you're the reason that I am so serious because I'm struggling. I'm depressed. I was you know, our relationship was emotionally abusive, but somehow he wanted to treat me the way that he did and me still be happy, go lucky and, and fun loving. And the way I used to be, I'm like, sounds like a narcissist to me. Oh yes. And, and I'm just like, it does, it doesn't work that way, but I couldn't see that when I was in it. Of course, I just was like, oh, I guess, you know, now I'm an adult and grown up and I have responsibilities. So I guess I'm just less, less fun than I used to be, but that right. wasn't, that wasn't it. It was, it was a mental health thing. <laughs> no. Yes. Yeah. And it was being in a toxic abuse relationship thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I just like 2022 was actually the most difficult year of my whole life, which 
a friend of mine said, um, you mean it was actually worse than when you very first remembered all this stuff? And I said, yes, because when I first remembered all this stuff, I was processing things that were long gone, right? Mm-hmm. Those those cult people were not there in front of me right now. Like it was right. just memories of it. What I went through last year was a narcissistically abusive roommate, a guy, and it, I thought I was handling it okay. And in reality, like in retrospect, it was really, really draining me. Like my efforts to stave off his sneering and his judgments and his put downs and, you know, and his trying attempts to dominate and control me, you know, but I was like, yeah, you know, my mom's a total narcissist. I know how to handle these people. Mm-hmm. I've any I'm used to this. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got this. Like no problem. I do energy healing. I'll just clear all that shit that, that he's, you know, directing my way and send it back. And, um, and then it, one night out of the blue, like out of nowhere, like he had actually been treating me better than he ever had. And that went on for about three months and then he snapped and he got physically abusive. Um, And I could say, well, it was only ripping the remote out of my hand and it was only him not letting me, blocking me from going to my room. And it was only him shoving me really hard, but it was terrifying. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it triggered a bunch of stuff from my childhood and so what I was doing was I was trying to protect myself and initially it was so in my blind spot. Cause I'd been so abused, you know, like even if with all the years of healing, I was like, well, I don't know. And my, all, all my friends are like, Oh my God, Rebecca, call the police, you know, make a report. So I did. And then I attempted to take action. I got a, a temporary restraining order. And then when we went to our hearing on zoom, cause it was COVID still kind of stuff. And uh, the restraining order was lifted and not granted because she said the hearing officer was a woman because this wasn't an intimate relationship. Meaning I, yeah, she yeah. Asked, asked me and I told her, no, I've never had sex with him because I had not had sex with him. Absolutely nothing happened to him. Hmm. Nothing. I attempted to press charges after that, but the police are so, I mean, they, they're backlogged on cases far worse yeah. than that. Right. You know? So my piddly thing was just like, they wouldn't even answer my calls. You know, right. I called the DA's office. I called the police. I called the sheriffs. I called the domestic violence resource center. I have like nine pages of notes of all the agencies. I called what they said to me, one agency, like n- nobody knew what the other was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, it was horrible. And I got out of that and I thought, okay, like, like I do, right? I told you I pushed my feelings down. I was like, oh, and my mother sided with my abuser. Right. She tried, she wanted to go to court to testify against me, but um, it wasn't allowed because it wasn't a trial, it was just a hearing. Right. So my mom, my older brother, and apparently my sister, he said, he came to court and said, they're, they're on my side. So that was like a stab in the heart, yeah. you know, and, uh, I haven't spoken to my mother since, and, um, she keeps reaching out and she's sad and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, you don't get it. Like what you did to me and my, 
greatest hour of need, you sided with my abuser again, right? Mm -hmm. Started when I was 24 months old. She sided with my abusers. Yeah. She blamed me for the abuse when I was 24 months old and, and she's done it my whole life. So I'm like, I don't see a pathway right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I will forgive her because that's my, that's my gig. I'm all about forgiveness and I'm not as angry as I was initially, but, um, I'm reading a book called radical forgiveness that a friend recommended and, and I'm getting there. I'll get there. I forgave my dad. I forgave my dad and the rest of the cult abusers. Um, in fact, I took care of my dad before he died. He couldn't take care of himself. So I, I fed him and my sister and I, you know, did everything for him. He couldn't take care of himself. And that was like the most liberating, beautiful, freeing time. Mm -hmm. And my sister and I really bonded through that. And, um, it transformed my life to be able to forgive him and let go of that. Oh my God, that rage was so much more toxic and oppressive than I even realized. But when I let it go, a lot of my health issues, which my health issues, physical health issues started pretty much at the same time as the memories came back. So I ended up after years and years of being debilitated and sick and not being able to take care of myself, I finally got diagnosed with, first it was chronic fatigue syndrome, which just means they don't know what's wrong. But then I got diagnosed with uh, a connective tissue disorder, an immune disorder, uh, lupus, fibromyalgia. Oh my gosh. Um, a bunch Everything. of stuff everything yeah pretty much like any everything. sort of inflammatory disease and uh yeah uh, pretty much every system of my body was not yeah. working um but if if you don't mind there's one thing one tip i have that i always like to share yes please and it has to do with um during the times that i would get super su- suicidal right and it would usually be in the wee hours of the morning and I'm drinking wine and I'm crying and crying and can't stop crying. And I would hold a knife or I would see how many pills I could find in the house, you know, and put them all in my hand and just lay there and cry and think about it. And, and um, what I learned to do is like to talk to the suicidal parts of me and say, you know what, you're right. It's a good idea. We should do this, but not right now. I'm tired let's go, let's just go to bed. We'll do it tomorrow. And the parts would always go, okay. And then I'd go to bed. I'd go to bed and sober up and the sun would come up and then like I could make it another day, you know? So that's just a little tip that might help somebody is like, don't fight that part, but also just kind of try to redirect, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what the system is doing. Um, But anyway, thanks for letting me interject that. Um, No worries. Thank you so much for sharing everything you are, you know, so, and I, and I I hate it when people say this to me, you are so strong, but like, it's because we don't have like a better word for it. Like you have survived so much and you are still here and you're helping people and you're shining your light and sharing your story and giving people hope that, 
no matter what terrible things they've gone through and legit reasons they have for not being here. Um, you know, you, you can still make it through. And even if, if you're still wondering if, you know, from day to day, you know, should I still be here? Yes, you should. And we are happy that you're here. So Thank, Thank you. you for sticking around so long, Rebecca. Thank you for yeah sharing your story and being you and triumphing over everything that you've been through. Thank you. Yes, I'm still a work in progress, but I'm finally able to start telling my story in a bigger way. And, you know, I have another podcast interview where I share about the ritual abuse and the healing process and that's something I want to do going forward is share it more because a lot of times people don't know this stuff exists. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I have to say about when you feel suicidal and like, should I stay um, to me anyway, I think that when you find the pathways to heal the things that make you feel that way, right. Um, life is so infinitely better than what you even could imagine. Like, yes. I had not a clue that I could feel the things that I have felt over the years. And, you know, each time I heal another piece of my, my own past, it gets better and better and better. And that's just my passion is to share what I've learned and just the hope that, that no matter what, you know, you can get past it. Like I've got, you know, maybe I should make a video on my YouTube channel and say like, here's some tips and tricks for, healing faster than I did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Don't keep that stuff a secret. Yeah. I mean, there's all, there's all kinds of things, you know, like stuff you can do yourself, like the EFT tapping, the emotional mm -hmm. technique. It's a great tool to have in your tool belt. Like pull that out anytime by yourself and discharge a lot of, you know, difficult things. So yeah, there's just a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to that video. Or series of videos. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Janet. All right. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Remember that you are loved. You are worthy. You are valuable. You are meant for more and that it really does get better. If you are in crisis, there are numbers that you can call or text to get the help that you need. That information for Canada and the US is in the description below each episode. If you are in immediate crisis, please call 911. We love you, and I hope you'll listen again.